And you are listening to WMNF Tampa, Sarasota, Clearwater Community Conscious Radio. Hi, I'm Mary Glennie. And, oh, excuse me, I'm Arlene Echohart, and you are listening to From a Woman's Point of View. Well, what a time. I'm really <laughs> concerned about the people out in Texas oh, and my, the my. weather there. Um, our weather's been strange, but at least not dangerous. Um, there's, wow. I really am worried about the people that don't have heat and don't have water and whatever. But in the meantime, I think we'll try to talk with a couple of people that are making... We're quite a few people today, actually. Actually, <laughs> making their own mark. Right. And in our lane, it's climate change. I mean, it, it really is. We absolutely have to realize that of all the serious problems we have right now, they... Uh, the pandemic, et cetera, the terrible weather uh, in, in this middle of this country. And, and, and my heart goes out to those people. And, and really, I think we should send all the best prayers and wishes and some bottled water, whatever we can do. I, I don't know how without potable water, they're told to boil their water. They don't have any electricity. So how are they going to boil their water? I mean, this is what it gets down to. And this is, this is the dangers we have with climate change. That it's, it's no joke. I mean, I mean, we are very vulnerable. Just, just, just think about it. you know we're all watching our temperatures so much right because that gives a rough indication of COVID. Uh, but just look at the very narrow range of temperature we have. You know, just think about it. I, I mean, if you've got a temperature of 103 or 104, you are in desperate trouble. I, I mean, so we have to realize we are and we're 70 percent water. And what are we doing with our water? I, I mean, you know, we find all kind of new ways to pollute it. We just don't seem to see to, to accept the responsibility you have. That, you know, the Native people knew it a long time ago. It's the seventh generation down the line. But anyway, I'm going to focus back on this show because I am really excited about it. Uh, because, I, you know, I love February and March. I love History Months. I really do. And as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> Black History Month should be, uh, and Women's History Month, should be all 12 months of the year. Uh, but particularly, I'm excited about this show today uh, because we are going to have not only Kim Porteous, uh, from the Florida Now, but the Florida Now are honoring uh, there and they're encouraging every one of their chapters in the state to honor particularly the African-American women that are contributing so much in their specific chapters. And so we're going to have Kim and Robin and uh, Cynthia uh, Cynthia Port, uh, Morris, even though they're not related, same last name. And then in the second part of the show, I'm going to bring back Alex Lawson uh, because the executive director of Sec and Social Security works where we are going to spread uh, not just from that, what, what, what the possibilities are now with Social Security under Biden, uh, but even more so what's happening right now, how does he think about the impeachment, but the big F word, right? Filibuster. What are we going to do about Mitch McConnell's power and filibuster? What do we do? And so anyway, but I'm pretty excited, Arlene. <laughs> I am too, and you'll definitely obviously want to hear the first part of the show uh, with the Florida women but you will also want to be sure to stay tuned for the second part of the show um, with everything, as Mary said, from the Moderna vaccine to filibuster. And, you know, I'm pretty excited because to me, it's always playing it forward. And I think that's what I've always most appreciated, particularly about African-American women. Uh, you know, to me, they've always been the lodestar of the moral 
moral center of this country, what it has. And for them to have survived that middle passage, for them to have survived slavery, kept their families, uh, kept it all intact, but even more importantly, they always looked forward. And so this next song, I uh, really, it, it, to me, it really fits because Ruthie Foster, that great artist that we've had here at this station, uh, is going to be playing actually a song, Phenomenal Woman, based on the poem of Maya Angelou. And to me, that's what it's all about. And you can add now Amanda Gorman to that list. And so, hey, in there, people, we've got some fantabulous people. And with all of you out there, we can do this because it's going to take the best in every one of us. And we've got it. I think we might be excited to find all the best we have in us that we haven't been aware yet. So, okay, let's go. And we may have to experience and to support some of that good trouble. Ah, John Lewis, absolutely. Okay, let's put this on by Ruthie Foster and then come back with some of our guests.
music down. And we have two of our three guests, and we'll try and bring uh, Robin Harris in just a little bit later. Uh, but I thought it would be so right, particularly uh, with Ruthie Foster, that great uh, singer-songwriter that we've been lucky enough to have, had, to have here at this station. And uh, that she's singing the poem by Maya Angelou because Kim and Cynthia Harris, to me, this is what this is all about right now. Uh, it's playing forward, <laughs> and it starts, I think, uh, particularly with this country in the Middle Passage and the strength of African-American women to survive that terrible period, keep their families intact, uh, find them if they were sold out really from underneath them. And, and uh, I think we just have... Uh, I think we have just had uh, that uh, Robin Harris has just joined us, so we are all here. The whole uh, Florida Now family is here. Uh, and as I was saying, and, and to keep that intact, but to me, the playing it forward, the constantly realizing not just the necessary strength within, finding strength when there was nothing else, they had to find it. Uh, and uh, whether it's, it's my Angelo or now the very young Amanda Gorman or Fannie Lou Hamer or so many others, I think this is an exciting time. So, Kim Cordius, uh, welcome to the show. Kim. Hi, thank you for having us. And Hello. also, uh, Robin Harris, welcome to you. And I'll introduce you a little later. Uh, and also, uh, uh, Cynthia Harris. I'm hoping we have all three of you. Cynthia, can you hear us too? Yes, I'm here. Thank you for the inv invitation. And Robin, are you also here? I'm here. Thank you for the invite. Oh, great. Well, I thank you for all giving us this time. So, Kim, number one, tell us about Florida Now and why I think you have this really wonderful idea of uh, particularly encouraging all the chapters to honor, particularly the African-American women that do so much in their chapters uh, because we're talking real power here. So bring us up to date. Well, thank you, and thank you for having us here. Last year, we really had to take a look at how uh, white supremacy and, uh, impacted our own organization. It was clear um, in the entire country um, that Black Lives Matter, and we have to take a look and assess ourselves, for me as a white woman, and essential for all organizations that are also run by predominantly white people. So we've been working towards racial, working towards restorative justice for issues that we have done willfully or ill-willfully, uh, or I mean, with, without even knowing how we've overstepped and used our white um, privilege to really silence and marginalize black women who are doing the work right beside us and, some, and also leading with us. Um, so it's, white feminism is, uh, is, is a real issue that's definable, um, and Florida now really needed to take a good look at how we could break through and truly become intersectional and uh, let black women's voices be heard and supported. So we, just, we have this organic idea that started by talking about one of the heroes of mine, which is Gertie. Remy, and she is a traveling nurse that, to me, it feels like she's been at war because she's been serving in the COVID war, um, and she's making her way home. But we really started with wanting to center and celebrate her, and Cynthia said, hey, do it today. It's Black History Month, um, and do something every day to support these, you know, the people in, in our organization. And since 
that moment, it really started to create a whole change of hopefully what is a process to begin towards healing and supporting and amplifying the voices that really most need to be heard right now, which to me are the um, the black and brown voices of women and people of color around us. Yeah, and uh, before I uh, also bring in and, and Cynthia and Robin, feel free to break in. Uh, but I also feel, and, and to me, that's one of the values of now uh, that I think you've been aware of. Really, the the, the really difficult times women have. Period. Uh, you know, most of them are working outside of the homes. Most of them are doing and most of the work at home, taking care of kids. Uh, perhaps also at the same time having elderly parents uh, that they're involved in, and so much of what women does is looked upon as women's women's uh, duties or something and there is the, the kind of value in other words the more i'm looking at our society right now to me about the only things that can match the kind of power that's related to money is for us to say now just a minute you know that most of what we do has tremendous value and it's not been associated or put a dollar amount and i'm not going to get into the discussion right now whether that should be or not but that value to a society if you want it to survive has to mean a lot more and to be more important than the power of money and so, and with that in mind, Cynthia Harris, uh, I believe you are the executive uh, uh, vice president of Florida Now. Isn't that true? That is correct. But you, <laughs> your resume, I, you know, how, how do you manage to stretch 24 hours into about 40 hours each day? Because what I was looking at was all the stuff you're involved in and the boards you sit on, whether it's Habitat for Humanity, or I was really impressed that you, 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 you get backpacks for children that are in need. And then you also work with a Thanksgiving uh, a feast or, or, you know, a meal, a big meal for people in need. Uh, I, I, I was so impressed. And, and tell me, what kind of vitamins do you take? <laughs> uh, uh, no more than the typical vitamins that you do every day. So, um, uh, yes, I, I have been, I've been in public service since I was eight years old. Really? I, um, I started... And, and, and tell me, Cynthia, how did you get in there? Was was it your mother or grandmother that kind of... You, you saw what they did? Well, my grandfather was a pastor in Mississippi, and he pastored nine churches. So um, public service is embedded in my family. But also moving here to Florida as a young child... Uh, just being my my involvement in the church, I started doing things in the soup kitchens. Uh, we would go every summer to the soup kitchens, the, the church youth department, and we would feed the homeless downtown. And so it's just um, been embedded in me since I was a kid to just be of service to others. <laughs> And tell me, Cynthia, because I'm really impressed with that. Uh, that and your father was for nine churches, or your grandfather for nine churches, did you say? Yes. Wow. He pastored nine churches, so um, it was like um, he did two churches every Sunday. And so he would pastor at one church in the morning, and then we would travel 
to another church for the afternoon service. So that was consistent with him throughout my life. And, you know, uh, tell me, Cynthia, because, you know, with the medical symbol, you know, you have the rod and you have the snake going up the rod. And that's kind of the symbol, you know, of medicine, the Hippocratic Oath, etc. And I see a much deeper entwining of African-Americans, whether they're men or women, with God and the church. And do you think that's one of the reasons with the terrible obstacles and the racism and the discrimination uh, and which, the, the problems you have faced, do you think it, it, it is that strength, that entwining, so to speak, with God? Well, yes. Uh, when we were segregated, the black community, all we had was each other. So it was, it was second nature to... to um, take care of your neighbors if someone died and and there was a child that was left without parents you automatically you took on that child and you uh, took on the the responsibilities to take care of each other so um it's embedded in us as a culture to do for one another and so, would you say that, because I'm also hearing uh, that you have a lot in common there with Native Americans, uh, where really, you know, it was more of a matriarchal, if you will, society, uh, that actually every child was considered part of the whole tribe. And so, I'm really, I'm really, and Kim, with your emphasis on intersectionality, to me, you know, luckily having the privilege to do this show, I get to talk to so many different women, and 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 I see the basic similarities, and and, and to me, it is so both embarrassing and encouraging to see the obstacles and how they have survived, and not just survived, but thrive with a deep spirituality that is is amazing. Uh, do you find that, that actually women, I think right now women have to step to the front and have to really assert not just the power, but pointing out some of the areas we absolutely have to address if we want this democracy to survive. Do you find that, Kim? I find that, that women have a very, uh, powerful voice, uh, White supremacy has been trying to choke out um, uh, uh, the the voice and the power of women and people of color, and especially black women, um, for far too long. And I mean, forever. And this country has gone mad right now. We have seen so many incredible hardships um, in the last twelve months that we haven't faced before. So I think it's absolutely essential to listen. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly can't speak for w- whether it's a spiritual connection or, or what, but I can tell you I haven't listened enough to black women's stories and uh, brown people's stories, indigenous people's stories, and this is the time to do that. So that's why we're going to do this everyday uh, experience for Florida Now honoring black women and black people for this month has now is going to also roll over into hopefully inspire an entire year where we're celebrating uh, a person every day because and i'll stop now because we have to listen to their stories to because the wisdom is there 
and what we need to do as a country and as people to heal and move us forward can be found in the stories and listening to black and brown women and people lead us right now and so robin harris i want to bring you into the game uh or the the conversation here because i'm very impressed you're the chair of the justice task force and you're also a a co-chair as i understand it of the green party and so first tell us what is what is the justice task force and what have you been focusing on well thank you so our uh, racial justice task force is, is a fairly new component. And so what I've initially tried to do is to, uh, with, uh, with, his, with historical context, is to lay the groundwork for why it's important um, for our, if, if folks are wanting to be allies, uh, for our white allies to understand how we have been impacted historically. So one of the things that I do is uh, is to, to lay that out, uh, whether it be through workshop and or presentations, and also along with with present day legislation that really mirrors things uh, that have happened uh, in the past. So it's, it's kind of twofold, and we're and we're still and we're still un- unraveling of how and what we want that to look like. Yeah, and and I really want to ask you about uh, the because you said some of the you know the white allies so to speak, and uh, there have always been so many white people, particularly white women, uh, that realized uh, what was going and the injustice, and many times they were as worried about the soul so to speak or the morality of themselves, but even more so their husbands, their sons, etc. Uh, but how did you get involved in this? Uh, we heard Cynthia's background with. With the, with the nine churches and her grandfather, my goodness. And so how did you get involved in now and the kind of work you're doing? Well, I, I, I surprisingly, uh, Cynthia, well, we kind of have some similarities. My father was also a pastor, um, but I've always kind of been a little a little of a rebel, but they encouraged me, <laughs> so it was okay. Um, but I've had some amazing um, black, strong women mentors in my life that were political figures. And so I just kind of happened upon now, I think now found me. And so uh, it, it kind of uh, resonated some of Kim's vision with the fact that uh, Audre Lord said that we don't fight one single issue. That's our, lives, our lives are not like that. So with, because of that, I'm, I'm kind of able to be on board now. Yeah, Audrey Lord was was extraordinary. I mean, what what a brilliant mind she had. I, I'm not at all surprised that she would have made an impression on you because I do find I, I I think it's so amazing the number of absolutely outstanding to me really profound wisdom. Uh, you know that whether it was a Sojourner Truth or God knows uh, I don't know you <laughs> carry a tub and it was, is beyond amazing. Uh, but just you can go on and on and on. And as I said, my Angela with Lucy Foster and now we have Amanda Gorman and and tell me uh, Robin uh, with the work you do uh, and particularly with white individuals even quote white individuals who are woke so to speak the, the, the black power is the symbol of the fist is that a problem for a lot of uh, Caucasians to deal with um, well uh, no harm intended but I guess it's just going to have to be a power because in the 
uh, Stokely Carmichael, you know, he kind of, uh, that he kind of spearheaded that whole movement because black power simply means uh, self-determination that we have to, in order to be self-determined, we have to, we have to have power. It's one thing to say black lives matter and that's fine, but it's a, it's an, it's a stronger thing to say black power matters because we are, we are totally going to be behind or at target until we acquire and obtain power and power. We need power economically and politically if we're to survive. Yeah, and I've always, I've always found, I think, some of the white reactions to that, if you will, is a deep sense of perhaps guilt and perhaps the way, you know, that slavery was so ensconced in our whole system of, of, of survival here, you know, that it was our, our economic basis, et cetera, and existed for so long that I think an awful lot of whites, maybe deep down, are so afraid that there will okay. be physical violence, retribution, that I, I think it's kind of guilt coming out on their part. And so, to, to me, it is so important, particularly now, with the problems we have, because tell me, Robin, what, what are the problems that you see we're facing right now in this government if this democracy is going to survive? Well, it's, we're, we're constantly under colonialism and imperialism, and the racism is, uh, is, you know, it's there, but it's, again, it's because we lack power. Um, and so what, what, I, what I'm suggesting is uh, various forms of reparations, meaning full repair. And that means a system that is that where we're underrepresented. Basically, we're, what, what should happen is a, uh, a turning over of resources, finances, positions um, that, that have been stolen from us for years. And until that's rectified, until those things are fully repaired, uh, our, uh, our system is going to be um, just where it is now. And also, you're co-chair of the Green Party. And so what is your involvement with the Green Party? Uh, yes, I'm the state co-chair. And so, you know, it's, it's political. It's a third party uh, political apparatus. And, but I have the same, the same fight there as well. And, um, but um, I, my other co-chair, we're, I think we're Florida's first black co-chairs in the state. So, uh, but one thing that we're that we're trying to do is removing more in a in a legislative vein to be able to understand um, what uh, what Florida looks like and why. And so we've had some uh, we, we introduced a repair legal holidays bill uh, bill last year. So we're trying to rectify on many levels, as many levels as we can. Now, I didn't happen to, I, I couldn't quite hear what you said, the bill you presented last year. What was it? And, and what bills are you particularly looking at this year? Well, the name of that bill, that's, that's, through, the, uh, that's through the Green Party. However, it's, a, it's nonpartisan or, 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 we, or, or we have actually tacked on, of course, with other uh, uh, with, uh, Democrats as well. But it's called repair legal holiday holidays, and what that means is that holidays that have belonged to uh, colonizers or Confederate soldiers, or where they have celebrated uh, Confederacy, we're asking that those be repaired and turned over to uh, either uh, for recognizing Black people or Indigenous people. Um, so, and that uh, and that's been picked up now, I think, by Senator uh, Geico, I believe. Uh, uh, it's been kind of switched off. It was Geraldine Thompson and Bobby Powell, but I think somebody else has it now. So, um, uh, so that, yeah, that's that's one thing that uh, 
I worked on through my through my political party. Wow, that, that is very impressive. And Kim, uh, Kim Porteous, back with Kim Porteous. And again, we're talking to Florida Now. We're talking to Kim Porteous, who is the Florida Now president. We're also talking to Cynthia Harris, who is the executive vice president, and as you can see, is involved in an awful lot of other areas. And Robin Harris, who is also the chair of the Justice Task Force for the Florida Now, but also a co-chair of the Green Party. And I'm very impressed. I did not know, back to you, Robin, again, that both chairs of the Green Party are African American. That's that's really pretty amazing. And so, Arlene, you look like you wanted to say something. Oh, you were looking at me. Oh yeah, I know. Oh, that's one thing about radio. She's giving me the time signal, signal. But but I'm just not quite ready to release these women yet. They're too fantastic. Uh, and so, Kim, back to you. Uh, the Florida legislature. Uh, what what bills? I know uh, the one that's really bothering me most is the one that's involved in bringing some more significant pen- penalties for protesting. And so, I'm sure that that's on your radar. But what are some of the main ones right now that are on your radar? Well, every one of our now values is under attack or, or is being set back. If, uh, so you're right. Protesting bill, the anti-protesting bill is absolutely on there. Reproductive rights, they're trying to attack and, and throw a 20-week ban to further restrict women. So that's very harmful. Um, they're attacking the LGBTQ community through another year of parental rights bills as well as an anti-trans, uh, anti-sports, trying to block trans uh, children from participating in sports. Uh, we also have uh, uh, rollbacks on racial justice where they're trying to also uh, stop voting rights, uh, purge our roles to, uh, to really block and create more obstacles so that marginalized people won't be able to vote. Um, so they're pushing rollbacks on that, as well as trying to make sure uh, that the criminal, uh, uh, that formerly incarcerated people aren't even able to get the $15 wage that we're working towards in our state. So they're trying to marginalize women, black and brown communities, uh, LGBTQ communities, uh, also the COVID liability bill. Um, oh, yes. They're trying to make it. It's, so that's really another horrible bill. Um, and, and, and real quickly uh, with that, yeah. Kim, mm-hmm. I, I noticed yeah. that, that to me the irony is that they actually are including uh, a reproductive clinics uh, where abortions are performed, uh, even though they have fought them to the nail. And tell me, because I'm sure that I have a great deal of ambivalence about this, because I, I'm really worried that, you know, if there's no liability, if you don't do everything you can in your workplace or the work conditions to make it safe for the people, and you're not, you're not liable to any kind of liability. I'm kind of worried about that. So I give me your impression on that because I was quickly noticing that one. Look, the the corporate uh, that corporate the way the country is run, and especially a state, is to exploit marginalized people, including women. Black women make a lot less money, and our government is okay with that. How do I know that? Because they're not passing laws to stop the discrimination in our paycheck. So a bill like COVID, this COVID bill, is going to directly harm marginalized women and other people. So uh, it's just another way so that they can hurt the people and pad the pockets of corporations um, like public in this particular case. There was a, a 
a daughter who filed a lawsuit because their dad, like my dad, died of COVID because he was not allowed to wear a mask at work because it might scare the, the customers. This is early on in COVID, and he died because he got COVID. And uh, that was failure on that employee's part that should never be forgiven. We should make sure that we have the basic essentials to keep our workers safe. And I, I, I am looking at Arlene, and I know our time has run out. And I really want to thank all of you so much. Uh, 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 <laughs> Portius, I mean, Kim, you've, you've just been a treasure to the state. Uh, but also Cynthia and Robin Harris, I absolute two treasures too. So thank you so much to all of you for what you're doing, what you have done, what you will do, and giving us this time today. I so appreciated it. And uh, I, I usually I give you all a chance to say goodbye but i'm noticing that time is kind of so i just my heartfelt thanks and keep up the great work okay thank you so much and you can go to the florida website to hear the stories on uh that we're celebrating for black women this month as well as uh bill the bill's information thank you thank thank you so much you all take care and stay healthy okay Thank you. Bye bye. And you are listening to WMNF Tampa, Sarasota, Clearwater Community Conscious Radio. Very impressive women, wouldn't you say, Arlene? Oh, very impressive. And you will want to stay tuned for radioactivity today, too, for a related topic on the um, attempts and work to diminish the amount of male voting that's allowed. Oh, yeah. Nothing is, I mean, it hasn't surprised me, but it shocks me, their audacity, in your face. They, I, I, the number of bills already that are in state legislatures to make it difficult for voting, I mean, they never quit. They never quit. And all I know is if, 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 the, if the Democrats lose the House, we'll not only put up with Mitch McConnell and abusing the filibuster in the Senate, but we will have impeachment coming out of our ears. They already have said that they want to impeach Kamala Harris. I mean... This has got to stop. And people, we've got to have the moral fortitude and the guts and the ability to fight like the stories you just heard. You just heard two, well, three outstanding women. And that's the kind of guts and fighting we've all got to do. And we've just got to do it or we're going to lose this country, this democracy. And so, okay, well, don't get me off our land because I, I want to get in touch. With we need to get to Alex. <laughs> Alex okay. Lawson. Okay, I'm going to put this music on and then I'll come back with Alex Lawson. Even freedom cannot rest We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes We who believe in freedom Well, I'm going to pod this music down. Ella 
guests on uh, because I know the guest I have right now totally believes in freedom and certainly is willing to put on the battles to actually accomplish it. So Alex Lawson, uh, he's the executive director actually of Social Security Works, an extraordinary organization. He's involved in many other things too, but it's mainly the Social Security hat I want him to use today and particularly all the ramifications of that. So Alex Lawson, welcome back to the show. Thanks again for having me. Well, Alex, you know, I'm sure I know you're you're so eclectic how much you followed the impeachment and what's happening right now. And I have dealt with your colleague, Nancy Altman, so much. Uh, just for starters, what do you see? What differences are you seeing with Biden's administration? Hopefully, if uh, 45 ever does get out of the way and we stop hearing constantly from him. Uh, and how are you seeing prospects for Social Security uh, under Biden, uh, as opposed to Trump. Oh, it's it's it really is night and day. I mean, under the in the twilight of the Trump administration, we were fighting tooth and nail, and I know we talked about it against these uh, rules and regulations that they were trying to cram through that were literally would have literally ripped benefits out of people's hands um, and others that would make it. Uh, much more difficult for people to access benefits. I mean, it was a full-scale assault on Social Security. Uh, and those are just the ones in the twilight. I mean, they opened their administration with an assault on Social Security, and it was multi-pronged. They attacked um, not only our benefits, but also the administration of our benefits by just uh, crushing the workforce. They had a brutal, brutal campaign uh, to crush the workforce at the Social Security Administration, um, this union buster, David Black, uh, and, you know, that all the rules and regs, we've stopped and reversed those that uh, we could immediately. And uh, one of the, the worst villains, he's kind of the henchman, but it's his pen on paper uh, that created these policies. His name's Mark Warshawski. He's gone, uh, and he's replaced by... Uh, basically the polar opposite of him, someone who deeply loves Social Security and wants it to work better for the people instead of spending their time trying to destroy the program. So it's really off to a good start. Um, We need more. I'm not going to say it's perfect. Um, The guy I named previously, David Black, who's the, the lead union buster, he's the deputy commissioner, uh, and the commissioner, Andrew Saul, they're still there. Um, and we are uh, concerned with that. But uh, Andrew Saul was knocked down to an acting commissioner, which is an indication that uh, President Biden is, is planning on replacing him. Um, we are being what we consider patient. We're giving uh, the administration, you know, as long as they keep doing stuff that seems to indicate the direction they're going, Uh, We're saying until the spring to get rid of Andrew Saul and David Black. But we're continuing to increase the pressure on that because we cannot move forward with this wrecking crew still in charge of the Social Security Administration. Yeah, I think that is the real problems. I mean, to me, Alex, I've never, we've never seen anything like this because we still have those appointments that were done under the Trump administration and they are still in the system. 
And so you not only have to try and get your policies, you know, through and trying to fight for some improvements or whatever you have in mind, but you have to constantly be concerned and aware uh, because Biden just can't fire these people without cause. Aren't they protected? I mean, in, in those, I mean, there are protections for people. And so... I find this balancing act, and particularly you involved with Social Security, it, to me, it just boggles my mind. The battle on Social Security from its inception, <clears throat> from certain individuals. Uh, and and it, it, I, it, tell me, Alex, do you think they, they don't know their history or they don't care about their history? They don't care if their grandparents suffered terribly, say, during the Depression and perhaps were only saved, or, I mean, literally to survive by Social Security and some of the measures that Franklin Roosevelt took? Uh, because right afterwards, they started to attack it. And, and I got to admit, Alex, I mean, you deal with people like this much more than I do. I, don't, I can't really understand how they think. I, I don't understand their morality. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's because you're a decent person. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's very difficult for the vast majority of people in this country who are decent people to truly understand um, the mindset of somebody who spends their time, their waking day, um, working on ways to hurt people. And, you know, that's what these people are doing. I do want to uh, say one thing. Uh, President Biden definitely does have the authority uh, to fire uh, Commissioner Andrew Saul and definitely Deputy Commissioner David Black. Um, there's been some court cases. Um, Chief Justice Roberts specifically mentioned the Social Security Administration in his ruling. It's called the Celia case. Um, not actually sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, it was uh, ruled conclusively that the president has the ability um, to fire and appoint people, including at the Social Security Administration. Hey. So we think that they are working through their Department of Justice opinions to make sure that all of their smart people agree uh, that that is the, the way to go. Um, and that's, again, that's why we're giving them until the spring. You know, we, we wanted it on day one, but we understand that he wants to ensure that President Biden wants to ensure that he's doing things the right way. Um, we appreciate that. But then to your second point or your question, we just can't allow these deeply, deeply sick people, people who literally want to destroy the program, which would throw hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people into poverty, uh, the, the most successful and popular government program in the history of the United States of America, and the two people at the top, all they want to do is dismantle it and sell it off brick by brick. Uh, we cannot allow them to remain there. And we demand that President Biden uh, get rid of them and replace them with people who actually care about the system and what it means for the hundreds of millions of people um, who, who rely on it, which is every single person in this country. It's a universal system. And so we are willing to be uh, what I consider patient for myself. We're continuing to push. Um, we're active in this. We're talking to the administration. But come springtime, March 23rd, uh, we're going to get 
impatient. Uh, we're going to turn it up another notch. But we're continuing to talk to our champions on uh, the Hill in the House and the Senate and saying we understand there are priorities. We want the COVID relief package to pass as soon as possible. Um, we understand. But this is a immense, immense uh, priority for the American people. Social Security is not something that you can just leave for another day. And him, we're talking to Alex Lawson. But actually, as I said, he's very eclectic. But the, the article that really caught my uh, mind, and I know you have and uh, other people also, uh, that right now, you know, we've got a pandemic. <laughs> well, everything that's happened to us, we're in the pandemic. And, you know, Alex, uh, I, I, I've been really looking at this. And to me, one of the major problems, and you really address this, is actually having enough vaccine. In other words, if, if there are problems with logistics to get them into the arms, if you don't have the vaccine you're in trouble from the start and so we find that actually particularly with the moderna which is as you say in your article that you wrote so well that it's at least 95 percent effective and the really important thing is it'll keep you usually out of the hospital and dying and yet right. the united states we taxpayers it wasn't moderna they the company did not put the money into the research and development of this we did 2.5 billion dollars and even Dolly Parton uh, contributed a million dollars for this vaccine. And yet Moderna has exclusive rights uh, to manufacture and get the profits from this. And, you know, Alex, help me here. But as far as I see it, that it doesn't do any good for this country to get it under control if the rest of the world can't get it under control. So the whole world needs cheap, accessible vaccines if we are to survive this pandemic, don't you think? Absolutely. This pandemic and the future pandemic, this is truly an issue of national security. Uh, and you... you laid it out correctly, but I want to restate it because people have a hard time sort of letting this into their brain, but you can check the fact we forced Moderna with our allies. It was public citizen who actually did the research um, who, to, to admit that they put zero dollars into the research development of the so-called Moderna vaccine. Okay? Zero dollars. A hundred percent of the investment, 100% was taxpayer dollars, yours and my money, went to create this vaccine, and then we handed it over to this company in one of the most corrupt things that you can imagine, and we just let them do what they want with it. We turn around and buy the vaccine that we created, uh, and it's so far, it goes so far the National Institutes of Health and NIH actually holds the patent on the so-called Moderna vaccine. <laughs> so it's not, this is, this is not a, a, a talking point here. You can find the patent information showing that the American people own this vaccine. Now what we need to do is take that uh, to the next step. We need to say, Look, Pfizer, you can have yours. Johnson & Johnson, you can have yours. But this Moderna one, this one's ours. This is the people's vaccine. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to invest in the capability to produce this vaccine in a public way 
it can either be fully public, right? Like they can be uh, U.S. government employees like the military, or it can be done the way DOD does it, which is they uh, actually contract with a uh, private industry to produce the, the materials in the DOD's case, tanks and bullets and stuff. But those tanks and bullets are the DODs, or in this case, we could contract with the company, but the, the vaccine would be public. And what we could do with that then is we could spin up billions of doses. So really, really great news that we're going to be able to produce hundreds of millions of doses of these tremendous, they're, they're miracles of modern science, uh, vaccines. And that's going to be enough to, to get needles into arms for, for basically everyone who needs it in the United States of America. But we are already seeing that with a pandemic, you can't hide from a pandemic. If we don't vaccinate the world, we are guaranteeing that there's going to be a variant that will bust through the, the vaccination, the immunity, and we'll be right back where we started. So what we need to do is produce billions of doses of the vaccine, and then we need to vaccinate the world to end this pandemic. That is the America that we should strive to be. That's who we are. That's who we need to be to return to. We did that when it came to smallpox. We did that when it came to polio. We led a global effort, a global effort uh, directed by science and public health to eradicate these dangers to public health because we understand that a pathogen, a virus, does not care about a border. A virus does not care if all of the United States uh, people are vaccinated. If we leave a corner of the world unvaccinated, we are guaranteeing that we're going to end up right back where we are today. Economic uh, turmoil, lost lives, almost half a million Americans dead. Um, this is not something that we can pretend a private company can take on. This is something that only uh, the, the people working together as their government can do. And then we actually need to work uh, with all the other governments in the world to address a global public health issue. And we have the tools to do it with the people's vaccine, the so-called Moderna vaccine. And so people need to contact their representatives. They, they really need, to me, this is so extremely important <laughs> that we've got to vaccinate the world and fast because the virus will always be ahead of us. They want to survive and there are millions of people for them to survive with. So what can people do to support this? So I think that everyone should contact their member of Congress uh, and their two senators and they should just start popularizing those uh, those uh, elected representatives with this idea, be prepared for pushback because people don't want to believe that we just handed our vaccine, the people's vaccine over. You can go to socialsecurityworks.org and find information on this. Um, and you can go to publiccitizen.org and find information on this. Uh, but call your members of Congress and also be prepared. When Javier Becerra is confirmed as the secretary of HHS, that's when it's really game time, and we're looking at that happening uh, sometime next week. Okay, we Alex, and this, is, this isn't fair, but one other real quick area I want you to address. The filibuster, to me, we've got to clip Mitch McConnell's wings somehow, or none of these programs are going to get through. So how do you real quickly fill about the filibuster, and what can we do? 
So what we need to do on that one really quickly is, is focus on this first relief package. The $15 minimum wage, we need to call Kristen Cinema. Uh, we need to uh, call our friends in Arizona and have them call Kristen Cinema. We need her to support the $15 minimum wage. But unfortunately, it does not look like we will get the $15 minimum wage through uh, the reconcilia reconciliation package. Now, reconciliation is just a way of doing something that you can't be filibustered. We're going to have to take that, that we lose things that people wanted, uh, and use it to create the pressure to get rid of the filibuster um, after we pass the relief package. And we know who the logjam there are. Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, um, Senator Carper from Delaware, Senator Kristen Sinema from Arizona. We need pressure on these people. And we need a giant public campaign to just educate people. Why does, what, why should we say that you need 60 votes to get things done that the people want, but when it comes time to hand out billions of dollars, trillions of dollars to Wall Street, it only takes 51. Um, that's a system set up to advantage the wealthy over the people, and we cannot allow it to continue. Um, and so we just have to keep on uh, increasing the pressure to create a system of majority rule in the Senate. Well, Alex Lawson, you certainly are doing your, your share. And so real quickly with time totally running out, anything we didn't cover you really wanted to mention? No, I think uh, that $15 minimum wage, just everyone should remember it, it's not, it, it helps everyone. There's very few policies that would do as much for retirement security as increasing people's wages. It, it helps the trust fund. It helps Social Security. It helps everyone. Um, so we really want to pass that $15 minimum wage in this first um, reconciliation relief package. Okay, Alex, thank you so much for all the work you do and giving us all this time today. You keep up your great, great work, okay? Thank you so much. You take care. Bye-bye. And you are listening to WMNF Tampa, Sarasota, Clearwater Community Conscious Radio. Arlene, did you want to say anything? Okay. Just thanks for listening, and remember, you can pick us up in in the archives, or you can sign up for the podcast on our page on WMNF.org from a woman's point of view page.